morning. Thank you, Kirby, for leading us this morning uh, through those songs. It's always just good to have people to be able to fill in and lead. I'm honored to be able to open up God's Word with you <clears throat> this morning. Um, we're going to be looking at, uh, I had, or have Michael Reed starting at verse 7, but our focus is going to be on verses 16 through 18 this morning. And I want to share with you this morning on this topic of suffering and the sovereignty of God. And this has really been on my heart um, over the past year, and maybe it has been on your heart as well with so many things happening. When Chase uh, sent the schedule out for this year and said I was preaching on this Sunday, I was um, quite certain I wanted to preach on this particular topic. I think it is timely. I think it is needed. And I'm definitely not going to cover all that there is on this topic. That is impossible for me to do in 40, 45 minutes. But I do want to share some truths with you this morning about the sovereignty of God. <clears throat> now, if you've uh, been in the Trusting God class, you get a double dose this morning, and you've been getting some of this over the past few weeks. And uh, if you're not in that class, I encourage you to go back and listen to the live stream of that. It is a tremendous class. <clears throat> Um, but it's okay that I'm here this morning talking about the sovereignty of God, although I did think about changing my topic when I realized Brian uh, decided to teach on trusting God. But the more I studied, the more I realized that uh, there's no way that we can cover in 12 weeks and my sermon this morning the depth of the sovereignty of God. And I thought, well, you know what? Um, this was all planned out, and it's just part of God's sovereign plan that I speak to you on this topic this morning. So we're moving forward with that. <clears throat> but the sovereignty of God is everywhere. If you open your eyes and you look around, you can see the hand of God working. We may not see it and understand it, but he is working. If you open your Bible and you read through the Bible from beginning to end, it's hard to go through a couple of pages and not see the sovereign hand of God working in the lives of those in the stories. I love the major stories in the Bible and even some of the smaller ones where you can read from the beginning, move to the end, and you see how God works all these things together in our lives. I love it because we are able to see the ways that God is working, but also because we don't always see <clears throat> God's hand sovereignly working in our lives in a particular moment, and uh, even though he is, and that can be difficult at times because we're trying to figure out why certain things are happening. But the stories of God working helps us to see that the same God working in the lives of those in the Bible is the same God that is continuing to work in each of our lives on a daily basis. As believers, we look to Scripture for truth, we look to Scripture for guidance and for understanding. And if we are believers in Jesus Christ and we believe that what we hold in our hands is the infallible Word of God, that every word is true, then we truly must believe that God is sovereign. Not just sovereign over some things, not just sovereign over the things that we want Him to be sovereign over, but he is sovereign over every detail of creation. He is sovereign over every detail of your life. We do not get to pick and choose these things. 
Now, I think that it is easier <clears throat> to trust in the sovereignty of God when things are going well for you. Maybe not for everyone, but I think this would be true for many people. I seem to hear most that when things are going well, we hear that God is so good. Maybe you got that promotion at work. Maybe the house you've been really wanting, you were able to get. <clears throat> and we say, man, God is good. That's right. He's sovereign. He worked this out for us. <clears throat> yeah, when things are not going so well, <clears throat> excuse me, when tragedy strikes, maybe you lose a job and there's really no explanation as to why. Maybe COVID happens. Maybe a presidential election takes place and it doesn't turn out quite the way you want. Heck, let's just say 2020 happens. In times like these, there's a tendency to focus on the situation at hand and be angry over the situation that is taking place. And can you really be angry at a situation? I don't think you can. Maybe we question God as to why he would do this. Why would he allow something like this to happen? I mean, if God is really sovereign, why would he allow this to be happening to me? Maybe we shake our fist at God. Maybe we question him. I remember many years ago after the Oklahoma City bombing, I remember after 9-11 happened, and even on a more personal scale for some, I hear the question, where is God now? Where was God when that particular thing happened? And the answer is simply, he is and he always will be in the same place he was the day or the moment before that particular situation happened. He is sitting and reigning on his throne and he is working his sovereign plan in every moment small. Matthew 10, 29 says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. I like this passage because it tells us that God is concerned and he is control over everything that is helping, happening around us, even the smallest things of a sparrow falling. How much more does he care for the details of our lives? The fact that nothing in your life will happen without either the involvement or the will of our Heavenly Father this should really bring us great comfort in our daily lives. We need to understand that difficult times will come to each of us as God's children. Now, some of these difficulties will be on a grander scale in different lives, but they will come. But it's also important to remember that we will never go through the valley alone and that every detail is always part of God's sovereign plan. Jennifer and I have learned to trust in the sovereignty of God over the <clears throat> past 27 years of our marriage. Through many different circumstances in the military and essentially having to be told and absolutely have no say in what job I get within the hospital, I just do what they tell me. Um, or when they tell you to move and you don't want to do that, they just say shut up in color and you move on and move to the next duty station what do you do in those situations but trust in the sovereignty of God over every decision that is made and over every person who is making those particular decisions? It really comes down to we trust God or we can be miserable. 
But having five children, no doubt, can help you learn to trust in God's sovereignty in a major way. When Maddie was about 20 months old or so, we were living in Maryland at the time. I was stationed at the presidential base and lived right down the street from the hospital. We were actually on base. And I remember one Saturday, uh, Maddie was not feeling very well. She had not been well for several days, and she was sick. Um, she had been throwing up and had some fevers, and we couldn't figure out why. Well, Jennifer decided she was going to go shopping, pick up a few things, and grab some Pedialyte to help with dehydration. We didn't want that to get in. So she left, and I decided I'm going to lay Maddie down for a nap. <clears throat> well, I started to lay her down. I thought, well, I'm just going to take me a nap, too. Might as well. <clears throat> so I start to lay down, but then I thought, you know what? Something told me, hey, why don't you put Maddie in the bed with you and take a nap there? So I thought, all right, I sh maybe should do that. So I picked her up and I put her in the bed with me. <clears throat> thought I could make this. Moments after we laid down, she started making weird noises. And I thought, what in the world is that? <clears throat> so I rolled over and I grabbed her and she wasn't moving. She was moaning, but not moving. So I freaked out, called my friend that was down the road. I said, hey, I need you to come and take care of Logan and Brandon because I need to go to the hospital and take Maddie. I don't know what's going on, but something's not right. So I get Maddie ready. And by the time I get out to the car, she was already there. Um, she just lived right down the street, and we took off to the hospital. And when we got there, they took her back. <clears throat> and not only was she not moving, but she wasn't moaning anymore either. <clears throat> it was truly like she was lifeless. And we were filled with fear. We were filled with confusion because we had no idea what was going on. The ER staff was doing everything that they could to try to help her. They were running every test that they could possibly think of. And about the time that Jennifer finally got there from the store, they started to do a spinal tap on her, and she didn't even flinch. They just did this. And I don't know how much time passed, but it seemed like forever. And then our doctor, our family doctor, came busting through the doors, and one of the first things that she said was, what is her blood sugar? And everybody kind of looked like, uh, I don't know. Well, this was bad because that should have been one of the first things that they did. So she scolded everybody and proceeded to take her glucose. And when they got the reading back, it was five. And if you know anything about blood sugars, a five is very, very bad. I'm talking possible permanent brain damage or near death bad. Well, they gave her some glucose, and she immediately perked up. We were so relieved to see this, but we were still wondering why. What is going on with her? They decided to move her to Walter Reed Army Medical Facility, which is about 45 minutes away. And on the trip there, she kind of crashed again. And when we got there and went to the um, floor she was supposed to be on, they said, we're sorry, but something went wrong, and she's on the NICU. So we rushed up to there. And uh, they were working on her again. And we ended up spending a week at Walter Reed with our baby girl going through just about every test imaginable. And I'm not exaggerating. They sent specialist after specialist after specialist to come in to try to figure out why her blood sugar continued to drop. It was like an emotional roller coaster for us. 
Over just a few days' time, they stuck her to try to get an IV in for fluids over 30 times. And at one point, she got poked and over and over and over again. And I was so frustrated, I just wanted to punch the technician and take the stuff and do it myself. But all we could do was sit and watch, not knowing if Maddie would be okay. And at one point, Jennifer just stood in the hall watching the doctors work. And all she could do was cry out to God and trust that everything that was happening was in the sovereign hand of God. And that no matter what the outcome would be, it would be for our good and for his glory. You see, what makes these situations difficult is that we can only see the here and now. All of our attention was focused on Maddie and what was happening to her. And we were seeing those particular details at that time like it was just a grain of sand in the midst of thousands of details that God was in control of. After about a week, they finally learned that she has MCAD, which is a metabolic disorder. If you want to know how to say it, ask my wife because I still have no clue. But the Lord brought us through that difficult time. We question God at times, but we look back on that situation and many other valleys that we have gone through over the years, and we can see that God sovereignly worked the steps. We didn't see them at the time, but we can look back now and see that his hand was heavy upon us. You may not have been through anything like that, or maybe you have been through much worse. And as believers, we ought to expect suffering as an inevitable part of our calling, To believe is not to evade suffering. No, it's to face it with a new confidence, with the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And if we approach suffering correctly, suffering will develop character in our lives. It will equip us for more effective service to the Lord. It will draw you closer to Christ and it will prepare you for eternal life. When we face difficulties or suffering will return from our objections and praise his power and grace and bow with glad submission to his absolute sovereignty? Or will we stiffen our necks and resist him? Well, in our passage today, we hear from the Apostle Paul, who is no stranger to suffering. And he starts out in verse 16 by saying, So we do not lose heart. This is a massive statement coming from Paul. When we think about Paul, you think no one is more suited to write these words than him. If anyone could have or should have lost heart, just thrown in the towel, it would have been Paul. You remember Paul met Christ on the Damascus Road, and his life was rocked. It was changed forever. Met Christ, I believe, at around 30. And he was probably martyred at around 60 years of age. So for some 30 years, give or take a few, he was under the constant pressure of living out his Christian walk, living out his faith. And 2 Corinthians chapter 11 helps us to see some of the difficulties that Paul went through. I'm not going to read it, but I want to mention these, and I want you to consider these, if you will. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 11, he says that often he had near-death experiences. He had been whipped with 39 lashes five different times, beaten with rods three different times, pummeled with stones once, shipwrecked three times, adrift at sea one day and one night. 
He had frequent journeys. Say, well, journey's not so bad. It's okay. It's okay to travel. We need to remember that they didn't have Cadillac Escalades back in the day with nice plush leather seats with air blowing out of the vents and ways giving you directions on how to get somewhere or Shane and Shane on Spotify playing sovereign over us, reminding us how good God is to us. No, it's a bit different for Paul. He was walking or riding a dirty camel on his journeys. And on his journeys, there were dangers from rivers, from robbers, his own people, from Gentiles, from city to city that he went through. There was danger in the wilderness. There was danger at sea. His journeys were not like ours are today. He had dangers from false brothers, the daily pressure of anxiety for all of the churches. He had toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, often hungry and thirsty, is cold and exposed. One example of this we find in Acts chapter 16, and I encourage you to go back and read this whole story of this. But you'll remember that in Philippi, the magistrates ordered that Paul and Silas be stripped beaten with rods and placed in stocks in a cold prison. What happened to them was horrible, but I want you to see out of this is one example that Paul and Silas in this particular case, how they responded. I love this story and I love their responses. And I certainly like to think I would respond in the same way, but until I'm in this position, I can't honestly say what I would do. But after they had been beaten, after they had been thrown in prison, in chains. It was after midnight, so no doubt that they were not only hurting, but they were tired. We are told that they prayed, and they sang praises to God. Wow. I love this story, and I have to ask myself, how is this possible? How is this possible for Paul? How did he do it? How did he go through all that he did, getting beat, thrown in jail, and yet he was praying and singing to God? And this is just one example of many that I just read to you. And he tells us, so we do not lose heart. What was Paul's secret? Well, I think his secret is told to us today in this particular passage. He tells us how we can face any difficulty, any suffering, and come out on the other end better, stronger, because of our trust in the sovereignty of God and the truth that we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Paul begins by telling us not to lose heart. In other words, he says, don't give up. Continue to press forward. What does he mean by lose heart? Well, this is to be discouraged or dismay, doubting. Don't be fear, full of fear and doubt, faint-hearted. Well, how was it that Paul did not lose heart? Paul gives us several reasons in our passage today. In uh, chapter 4, verse 1, he didn't read this, but I'll read it here. It says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we're told again, we do not lose heart. He didn't lose heart because of his divine commission as a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was given this ministry by the mercy of God, and he was going to be faithful until the end. 
In verse 14, it says, Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us into his presence. He did not lose heart because of the prospect of sharing Christ's triumphant resurrection from the dead. And this gave him great hope and the will to continue on. In verse 15, we says, For it is all for your sake, so that the grace extends to more and more people. It may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Paul did not lose heart for the sake of the Corinthian church. He was seeking to throw them, or seeing them grow and change more and more into the likeness of Christ. And simply because of the greatness of God, Paul continued on. He knew that all that was taking place would be done to the glory of God. I think Paul had a kingdom focus. We say, well, all this is still good, but we still ask the question, how can we be like Paul? How can we live our lives through the good, the bad, and the ugly with a kingdom focus like Paul had? Well, I think, first of all, we need to have a kingdom focus on the now. We need to have a kingdom focus on the now. Verse 16 says, Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. You remember in verse 7 that we are told that we are jars of clay. And from birth, as we saw up here this morning, until the death of our bodies, we are constantly decaying and wasting away. And the older you get, the more you begin to realize that. Amen? Paul's body was wasting away because of the normal aging process that takes place in all human beings. But also because of his life. When you are whipped, when you are stoned, when you are beaten multiple times, you are going to feel that. It is going to take an effect on your body. We don't read of this. Just imagining like broken ribs occasionally when you're beat like that and you're stoned. But what Paul does tell us is that he bore on his body the brand marks of Jesus. He had scars from his beatings. He had scars from his whippings and his stonings. Now, not to the extent of Paul, not even close, but just like Paul, we too are wasting away, even if it's by our own natural course of life. And depending on how we take care of our bodies, that is going to happen differently for different people. Look over with me real quick to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. And Solomon paints a very good picture of what this looks like, beginning in verse 1. It says, Remember also the, your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days Come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few. And those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of songs are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home. 
And the mourners go about the street before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern. And the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Like it or not, our time here on earth is short. But with the bad comes the good. We see not only that we are wasting away outwardly, but we, our inner selves, are being renewed day by day. And you say, well, wait a minute, we're wasting away, but at the same time we're being renewed? How does that work? Yes, physically we are wasting away. But spiritually in Christ, we are being renewed day by day. This is the treasure inside of us that we read in verse 7. This is the gospel at work in us. This is our sanctification. This is our spiritual growth. And this is taking place day by day as God is using difficulties in our life to help us to grow. I don't know if you've noticed, but we grow most when we are in the valley. When there is suffering in our lives, God uses that in tremendous ways to help us grow. Now, most people dare not ask for these difficulties, but God knows best, and through the sovereign hand of God, they do come. And when suffering comes, brothers and sisters, know that it is not for nothing. God has allowed this in your life for your good and for his glory. We saw an example of this in Job 1 that Chase read for us earlier. Satan had to get permission before he could go to Job and his family and all that happened, him losing everything, and then even in chapter 2, attacking on his body, this was all under the sovereign hand of God. And we don't always see the good in the things that are happening to us. And Job probably didn't have a clear picture of all that was happening either. But his response was right on. He said, the Lord gave and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I am convinced that Job knew that his suffering was for good and for the glory of Christ. If you are to lose a loved one, it is for your good and for the glory of God. If you get cancer, it is for your good ultimately and for the glory of God. If you lose a job, it is for your good and for the glory of God. If you're struggling in a marriage, is for your good and for the glory of God. Whatever it is, how bad it might seem, it is working for your good. Romans 8.28 says, all things work for good. Now the good is not necessarily the physical, but the spiritual. What is that good? It's our maturity in Christ. It's growing more and more into the image of Christ. It is honoring God with our very lives in every situation. God's sovereignty is at work in all situations. And even the goriest, the most horrible act of suffering that ever happened or will happen was completely part of God's sovereign plan. And even it was for your good and totally for the glory of God. That was the death of Jesus Christ. Speaking of Christ, Isaiah 53, 10 says, Yet it was the will of God to crush him. He has put him to grief. 
The suffering and death of Christ was clearly the Lord's will. And suffering has a central role in our lives. And the crucifixion of Christ was and continues to be good for you. Now, as we think of these things, we certainly don't want to go someone who is going through a difficult time and say, well, guess what? I know this is tough, but God's sovereign. And it's for your good. It's going to be okay. We don't, we, we don't want to do that. There is a time for that. That is not helpful in the moment. But in that moment, we rejoice with those who rejoice. We weep with those who weep. We pray for them. We comfort them with God's great truths. There will be time for another conversation later down the road. I think Paul also had a kingdom focus on the future, a kingdom focus on the future. So we do not lose heart, Paul says, for or because this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I like what the Christian Standard Bible says. It says it is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. The key word that we need to remember here is preparing. Paul was certainly looking at the situation that he was in. How could he not? He obviously knew when he was being beaten. He obviously knew when he was shipwrecked. But that is not where all his attention was placed. I think there are times that we can get caught up in the here and now. We can get caught up on so much of the details that are taking place, and many times they don't look good to us, that we forget that God is working, and he sees all the details happening, even more because he is causing all these details to happen and come together. Paul was very aware of what was happening to him, but he was more focused on his future glory. He knew that everything that he was going through was preparing him for glory that would be revealed to him when one day he would be at home with the Lord. The more he gave of himself, the more he fought the good fight, the more he became like Christ. Paul didn't care about stuff. Paul was concerned about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he was going to do everything he could to preach that truth. Now, did you catch what Paul is saying here in verse 17? We think of 30 years or so of all that Paul went through. Remember 2 Corinthians 11. And Paul says that it was light and momentary. Paul says, eh, no big deal. Because of the glory that awaited him on the other side. This is why he could say that. Paul had a kingdom focus on the future. Looking at his future was how he could get how he could look at this particular situation as light afflictions and momentary. Paul was looking at the situation through heaven's eyes. And not only that, not only did Paul's suffering make him spiritually strong, it also enriched his eternal reward. You can kind of picture this on a scale when weighted um, in the balance with the believer's eternal reward in heaven. The earthly pain amounts really to little. For Paul, his pain and suffering was constant right up to the point when they severed his head from his body. Paul did not retire and play golf every day. 
He served the Lord faithfully and suffered right up to the very end. And yet he viewed it as light and momentary. You say, well, that was Paul. He was a strong man. I can't argue with you there, but flip over just a few chapters to 2 Corinthians 12. 2 Corinthians 12. Beginning in verse 7, it says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I contend with weakness, insults, hardship, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So yes, Paul was strong, but he was strong through the power of Christ at work in his life. And the same power that is at work in Paul is the same power that is at work in you today as a child of God. In your difficulty, are you looking at all the bad with no hope? Or are you looking to Christ, allowing Christ to make you strong? Romans 8, 16 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be also glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Suffering and glory go together perfectly because it all part of God's sovereign plan. As we suffer for his name, as we go through difficult times, as we witness, as we serve, as we live out the gospel, when we face persecution for his name, it will manifest itself into praise and glory for all of eternity. Jesus' suffering on the death, or suffering and death on the cross led to his exaltation. We know this passage well, Philippians 2, starting in verse 4, says, Let each one of you look not to his own interest, but also to the interest of other. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Jesus Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptying himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What an example, a perfect example. His glory outweighs any affliction. Our praise and our worship of his glory for all eternity outweigh any affliction. But before we experience this glory that will come, we must have a kingdom focus on our journey, a kingdom focus on our journey. 
these light and momentary afflictions, they are preparing an eternal weight of glory as, verse 17 says, we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. <clears throat> For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. You say, what? What's Paul talking about here? Paul says that we are to look not to what we can see, but we are to look to the things that we can't see. How are we to look to something that we cannot see? What is Paul talking about here? As we live our lives as believers, as we look at our lives, we need to make sure that we are putting our focus in the right place. We need to put our focus not on the passing, again, uh, not completely ignoring what is in front of us, but our focus needs to be on the eternal. Paul tells us not to look at what is seen, not the passing, but the eternal. What are things that are seen? These are things of temporal value. Anything that will perish, including our bodies. These are things that belong to time. What are things that are unseen? These are things that are eternal, things that will never perish, things that do not belong to time. I love the song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And the first verse of that song has always stood out to me the most. It says, Oh, so are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness, you see? There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. It says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Brothers and sisters, when you are struggling, when you are suffering, when you feel like you are being beat down, and life is just not going right, Turn your eyes upward towards Jesus. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Paul tells us this um, in Colossians 3, 4, a little bit differently. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, he says, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And then he says, set your minds on the things that are above for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. What a glorious promise. As believers, we have so much to look forward to. But until then, we know that there will be trials in our lives. There will be difficulties that will come. But what I want you to see this morning is that all those things that are happening negatively are having a positive effect in your life because they are preparing you for an eternal weight of glory that will absolutely blow your mind. As a matter of fact, Paul tells us that this weight of glory that we will receive is beyond comparison. I pray that we, like Paul can have this vision, have this focus. I pray that through our tears that we may never lose sight of the future glory that awaits us. 
But this is not automatic. It doesn't just happen. We have to work for it. It takes effort. It only happens when we look. And we have to look in the right direction. We have to turn our eyes towards Jesus. When Maddie was in the hospital, the only thing that carried us through that week was looking to Christ. Trusting that God was sovereign over every little detail of that situation. There was nothing that I could do. I think it's the worst feeling in the world when one of your children are suffering and there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. But at the same time, the greatest feeling in the world is to know that we have a heavenly father that we can cry out to. A heavenly father that cares a great deal about every detail of our lives and is orchestrating it all for our good and for his glory. So we may think in times that there is absolutely nothing that we can do, but we can turn to our heavenly father in prayer. Because prayer changes things. And he uses our prayers in our lives and in the lives of others. So we turn our eyes to Christ. There's certainly nothing better than having the word of God to comfort us and get us through difficult times. And man, we can look through scripture and see all kinds of passages to help get us through but the words that we sing can also have a powerful effect in our lives. I came across a song in February of last year, and it has been a tremendous blessing to me. And I know it's been a blessing to you all, because since we've been singing this song, I've gotten lots of feedback about it. Matter of fact, Spotify told me it was my number one listened to song of the year. I listened to it 136 times since February. And we sang it this morning. It was very appropriate, sovereign over us. It's a powerful song, and as I close this morning, I want to speak these words to you by way of reminder of his sovereignty over us. I know we sang it, but I always listen to songs before I choose them for us to sing because it really has a different effect on us. So hear these words as we close before we sing. It says, There is strength within the sorrow. There is beauty in our tears, and you meet us in our mourning with a love that casts out fear. You are working in our waiting, and you are sanctifying us. When beyond our understanding, you're teaching us to trust. You are wisdom unimagined, who could understand your ways, reigning high above the heavens, reaching down in endless grace. You're the lifter of the lowly, compassionate and kind. You surround and you uphold me, and your promises are my delight. Your plans are still to prosper. You have not forgotten us. You're with us in the fire and in the flood. You're faithful forever, perfect in love. You are sovereign over us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the great truth that you are sovereign over us. Lord, we cannot comprehend how this all works together, how you orchestrate everything that is happening in our lives, even with our will in effect. We, we don't completely understand that, Lord, but I pray that you would help us to trust 
that whether we are going through good times or bad times, that your sovereign hand is upon us. Your loving hand is guiding us. And Lord, through every situation, Father, although we are wasting away outwardly, inwardly, Father, we are growing more and more to the image of Christ every single day. Father, help us to continue to trust in you. And when we do hit difficult times, I pray that we wouldn't only focus on the situation, Father, but we would turn our eyes to you, the author and the healer of our faith, Father. Father, we thank you and we love you for your faithfulness and your goodness in our lives. We ask this all in your precious and holy name. Amen.